And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across this great country, other people's almost as great countries, and potentially alien species. <laughs> now to Stefan and Dave for the news. Thanks so much, Darren. Uh, yeah, so we're in studio today. I will be getting Lorne in the middle break to talk about Alton Gas uh, and some other things, but we are starting off uh, with, I guess, the the third uh, iteration of our ongoing covering of uh, the Extinction Rebellion in London. Uh, so let's start there, Dave. Over the past week and a half, over 1,000 arrests of Extinction Rebellion activists have been made in London alone. One police officer said, quote, I've been a police officer for 36 years. I've never known an operation in which over 700 people have been arrested. Greta Thunberg spoke at one of the rallies, stating, quote, We've gathered today because we've chosen which path we want to take, and now we are waiting for the others to follow our example. She also spoke directly to British MPs in Westminster, <clears throat> telling them that they all lied to their children and gave them false hope. Extinction Rebellion activists were invited onto news programs across the UK, and during one panel, Rupert Reid convinced two of the other panelists, both of them politicians, to meet with the movement, and now the UK Environment Secretary Michael Gove has also agreed to meet. Labour MP Diane Abbott has declared support, uh, public support for the movement as well, saying, quote, I wouldn't be in politics if I didn't think change was possible, if things can change on the issues that I campaigned on when I was a very young woman. I think that things can change, and we can move towards the 2025 target. That target is, of course, to make UK emissions net zero within six years. When asked why an activist taking part in these disruptions might fly off in a jet to LA when the Extinction Rebellion is calling for what is almost a moratorium on air travel, Rupert Reed responded by pointing out that, quote, Extinction Rebellion is not about blaming individuals for what they do. It's about us all working together to turn this around. And that's why we want to have citizens' assemblies to sort out how we get to the carbon-free future that we desperately need to get to. I repeat, it is about systematically tackling climate change, not about blaming individuals for what they do. I'm looking at uh, sheepishly around the room at Stefan and Saren, who <laughs> love to blame individuals for what they do. Hey, sometimes we have to look <laughs> inwards, Dave. I'm not saying that it certainly do not believe that it's that is individual response, but still, mm. I, I would like to respond to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think that if someone were to sur uh, review the last 13 years of audio tape, they would find that I only blame individuals who make more than a million dollars a year. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. So, uh, but after a week and a half of civil disobedience, the rebellion has decided to take a step back to work on resilience and growth. They could, however, easily be back on the streets in a matter of days. Extinction Rebellion spokespeople said, quote, This movement is not just about symbolic actions, but about building the necessary resilient and regenerative culture that the world needs now. The truth is out. The real work is about to begin. The international rebellion continues. Indeed, they have seen a massive surge in donations, coverage, and volunteer support since Easter weekend, as the number of individuals formally ready to participate has quadrupled from 10,000 to 40,000. Uh, the group said, quote, this is what, this, what this shows is that Extinction Rebellion has spoken to people who have been wanting to act on this for such a long time, but haven't known how. The debate on this is over. <clears throat> Ordinary people are now saying it is time for politicians to act with real urgency. The essence of the group's plan is to blockade the streets until those in power are willing to negotiate. At that point, young people will go in to speak to lawmakers to request that they stop destroying their futures. 
If those powers argue that the people at the top are simply making too much money to care, then the protesters just head back out onto the street, like before, and so on until something happens. As activist Roger Hallam put it, quote, For the first time in a generation, popular people power will have forced a genocidal government to come to the table to talk about the genocide that's happening. And people around the world will say, hang on a minute, here's the avenue to radical change. Yeah, so I would like to... Um What's interesting about this is that, and I'm sure this was intentional, which is that this week, uh, that uh, is Earth Week, uh, and which is sort of, you know, in the pre- previous uh, shows, we've we've highlighted a, a piece that was written a while back called uh, May This Earth Day Be the Last, which sort of tackles this question of uh, what one should do in response to to the crisis that we're facing. And, and the, the, the thrust of the piece really is that um, that individual action and and a single day is not how you solve this problem um, and so uh, I think a big part of the of the reason why this is gaining some traction I mean they, they raised almost two hundred thousand dollars you know thirty thousand new backers or volunteers have offered support like this is clearly garnering and in, in, in some interest and attention and and support um, you know the fact that they're being there was a great line in, in one of those in one of these um, TV shows that uh, that you referenced in which uh, someone was saying, "Well, why did you have to?" One of the one of the other panelists was was asking the Michael. I think it was Michael Gov at the time, or not Michael Gov was the other person, but was Rupert re- Reed. Rupert Reed uh, was reaching out to him and sort of was like, "Why do you guys have to do this? Couldn't you do this in some other way?" And he was like, "I wouldn't be here if I wasn't doing this." Like he, he's so it's so perfectly illustrated the fact that you know the 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 stopping of of London was the reason that had got him on this national you know it was on the BBC on this national television show and and then to be responded with couldn't you have done this in a less disruptive way he sort of batted that away because he's like no or else he wouldn't have invited me on this show <laughs> like am I a consist is this kind of is this voice consistently on this show no it is not uh, so this is the only way to get this conversation or this level of of activism and conversation into the into the mainstream media, uh, and it was clearly working. Yeah, no, just um, so the, like the, the, some. I wanted to take this opportunity because it's it's finally we have an example of maybe it, my prophecy coming to pass, which is simply is that you know if if you refuse to negotiate for long enough, eventually you just simply aren't invited to the negotiation, and. Really, I mean, what there's, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to overstate this, but I also, I'm also trying to be very careful to not be like uh, a downer, uh, right? But popular movements have failed before. I, I, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to throw cold water. What I'm saying is, is like, you know, just popular support is not enough. But what's been really successful about this opportunity is that using the people power to directly translate into policy meetings that directly have a consequence, right? Which is we go back out and make your lives miserable if you refuse to negotiate. And these negotiations are happening directly between citizens, between people who live places, and the people who theoretically represent them, not with the oil companies. And this has a a very powerful way to for like politicians do things when they have the breathing room to do it. You know, all else being equal, they will be self-serving, which usually means whoever's paying them serving, right? But there's a way to get them under the microscope where they can't do that, or they're provided sufficient motivation to, you know, overbalance other motivating factors. And so I just really wanted to, you know, while some people may... You know, some people may be thinking to themselves, oh, sure, we've seen this before. That That is a component of this that's very different. And that is how this happens. That, so, like, I just wanted to really compliment the, the strategic uh, and organizational and, and the real properties of this particular 
uh, movement or, or group or, or how, whatever the proper way to refer to that would be is, is around that metric. Yeah, well, and I think it's, it comes back to the sort of thing that when we had you know, uh, Stu Bastin on a couple weeks ago, when he sort of highlighted the relentlessness of the need of this response. And I think that will end up becoming the, uh, maybe the major, question, major point of, of success or failure uh, on the movement. Uh, but we have, sort of, we have two more stories that I think the one story sort of highlights, uh, I would say, the need for, uh, for this kind of action and the, and the, and the need for the, the level and scale of response. Uh, and then the second sort of gives you a little bit of hope about, about how you might be able to see uh, the, the, eco, the ecosystem changing uh, amongst uh, a different set. So let's start with uh, one, of, uh, a, a, one of our fun, hey, something terrible is also happening, uh, this time in Greenland. Scientists are now able to model the Greenland ice sheet going back to 1972. <clears throat> they have determined that the ice started shrinking in the 80s, and the rate of that melt has accelerated six-fold since that time, with half of its associated sea level rise occurring in just the past eight years. Greenland is a sort of ice sea that is moving glaciers, and its moving glaciers are the currents that shift ice around and eventually fall into the ocean. These glaciers are speeding up, which is an indication that Greenland is melting from below even faster than it is melting from above. Its total collapse and associated sea level rise could therefore happen very suddenly and even seemingly out of the blue. If the whole thing melts, it could raise global sea levels by 25 feet. What's more, a new study in Nature Communications is claiming that melting Arctic permafrost will cost the world economy uh, $70 trillion if global warming hits 3 degrees Celsius by 2100. If we remain at 1.5 degrees Celsius, melting permafrost will cost 24.8 trillion. I feel like that that last last bit buries a bit of the lead there, um, which is that that the idea that you hit that 70 trillion dollars by three degrees of 2100. The other thing that does uh, that melting permafrost will do is release the methane to sort of take. Uh, to remove our control of uh, of this, you know, uh, there there are these certain there are certain touch points where in which we as humanity actually lose the ability to undo what we've done. Well, that's the thing; it's difficult to know what at what point what's in under control, what isn't, at what well, point is not under control. For sure, yes, and and I think that I think that leads that uncertainty uh, could be often leads early, you know, like and that was one point five even early enough to, to to keep us within a range where we have uh, control, um, but. But like once you get once you get to that point, then you really get into the into the some of the stickier uh, ideas of geoengineering and stuff like that about uh, fi finding ways to artificially reduce our heating rather than actually just pulling carbon out of the atmosphere or or, or waiting. The, the one thing about methane is that if you can prevent it, 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 it lasts in the atmosphere dramatically less long. Uh, so it's only about so if you if you f could find a way to sort of cool the earth for say twenty twenty five years, the methane would then dissipate, then you might actually get forward. But that seems like a any 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 type of geoengineering, the scale necessary to do that would be uh, would be playing would be playing science with 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 our best bet, which has if you which is not a good idea in many 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 ways. Yeah, no, I just I just want to jump in and highlight. Thank you for doing that. But the, yes, geoengineering is a absolute last chance hail mary thing because if you uh, a because it's difficult, but b because the whole reason we got into this mess in the first place is because we don't fully understand how all that stuff works. And if we get it wrong, we make it a thousand times worse. So just don't even for a second think, oh, well, don't, you know, geoengineering will save us. 
If no, <laughs> you know, like, if we're if if we're, we resort to geoengineering, then we're basically basically betting on which type of Armageddon we want. Yeah, no, it's well, it's yeah, it's it's we're going to have an Armageddon. Let's do this thing, which might make it much worse, but could maybe like that's that's the thing you do when you have literally no options. When billions of people are about to die, then you then you consider geoengineering. Yeah. Just we really want people to understand what the proper category for that option is. Yeah, exactly. And for an example of what that would look like, would be pumping, you know tons and tons like millions of tons of sulfur into the atmosphere um or no, sulfur sorry uh, sulfur dioxide uh, at, at least one third of all science fiction begins with <laughs> with trying to geoengineer and then something goes wrong right. just just for remind <laughs> yeah and and the in the models around uh even even that uh using sulfur dioxide which is one of the more popular ideas right now um basically lead to to mass droughts in parts of the areas and and just devastation in other areas while still theoretically reducing some of the heat that we're actually experiencing well aren't there also things like building uh like um piles of of sand and dirt underneath the ocean to stop glacial shift and so forth oh yeah they're technically geoengineering which is not so much like if it screws up, it's just sort of fails and doesn't. Like I, I would say, there 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 are parts of there are some sort of like you. I think when you get into a, a discussion of what geoengineering counts as, does count as does planting ten million, hundred million trees count as geoengineering? You know, does um, the, the the ones that are most commonly in regards to actually reducing heat basically all include f- messing with the atmosphere mm. uh, or 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 the, or the stratosphere, and those things are, are quite dangerous. Um, but I do really want to get to this last story before we before we before we go to the break um, uh, because it's important and actually you know not terrible news. Both England and France's central banks are apparently getting as worried as climate scientists about our impending doom, as their governors have published a joint article stating, quote, As financial policymakers and prudential supervisors, we cannot ignore the obvious physical risks before our eyes. Climate change is a global problem which requires global solutions in which the whole financial sector has a central role to play. They argue that banks will have to actively facilitate a massive reallocation of capital to bring the world economy in line with the Paris Agreement, and that companies and industries that do not adapt to the, low carbons, the new low-carbon standard will go extinct. Insurers are also in trouble from increasing threat of natural disaster, and most people may soon not be able to afford insurance due to climate-related risks. Many banks could also face steep losses from investments in carbon-heavy industries as we move towards cleaner economies. And about a month ago, Canada's own central bank officially committed to, quote, building climate risks into our financial systems review process, end quote, and to do research over the coming years uh, into the financial risks of climate change. The bank produces a financial risk report every uh, twice a year that includes things like household debt, market imbalances, and cybersecurity, but has yet to include climate risks, which some economists have been calling for for some time. But both physical risks to capital as a result of global warming and investment risks from, changing, from changes in production and consumption patterns as a response to global warming have been present for a while and are obviously increasing. And as Carl Mayer reports for the National Observer, quote, the Toronto Stock Exchange, the largest stock exchange in the country, volunteered this year for an initiative committed to environmental disclosure. That means the stock exchange is now expected to engage with the companies it lists on issues like sustainable development. Without this disclosure, investors are being lied to about the real risks associated with certain industries. Factoring in these climate costs will also open up new investment opportunities. Yeah, um, and so the so this is what's interesting about this is is that 
as much as as as, as we like or not, the central banks are going to play a major role in financing a any type of transition. Um, and so the fact that you know Mark Carney, uh, who is uh, who is the the head of the Bank of England, um, has been has been trumpeting this for quite some time. He's sort of the the more the perhaps one of the more uh, aware. Uh, responses uh, to this, and 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 so and so, it's quite impressive that he that that the you know, Bank of England is, is tackling this, and then the you know to get the the Bank of France also on side, um, and and so the, and, and there's a group actually of. Um, of, of, of central banks and financial regulators uh, called the Network for Greening Financial Systems, uh, or NGFS, uh, which is about – which basically is outlining a report, this released a report that outlines what roles the financiers and will have to play uh, to tackle climate change. And what that is is really unlocking the amount of investment necessary to, to make this transition because that, that's going to be huge in this. And and I think it should not be it should not be a uh, considered too much of a surprise that um, that that this type of report is sort of is, is has come out of England right around like shortly after the same time that the Extinction Rebellion is 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 making some waves. You know I think these I think it's 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 important to sort of tie the fact that as 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 more and more uh, disruption occurs, whether or not it is from from people power uh, or from the power of the earth. Um, like this is this is so important uh, to respond to, um, and and so that the fact the, the fact that these banks have actually started to have a plan and actually work on a plan and, and are calling out the fact that you know nearly twenty trillion dollars uh, of um, or fifteen trillion pounds depending on what you want to go for it of assets could be wiped out by climate change um, is. Is is an important step for for you know these are not these are not these are not activists these are these are these are bankers these are people who have been you know these are these financiers these are insurers these are people who who are the are the people you would listen to if they said something about your taxes and so why are you not listening to them when you say something about 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 climate change, um, given that they are backed by the you know the basic consensus that climate change is happening. You know, and so uh, these types of responses, all of these things are going to be necessary to get the reaction we need to as quickly as we can. And so when these types of reports come out, I think it's important to to pay attention to them. And especially, again, I'm just going to keep harping on this until it becomes – until 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 forever probably, uh, which is that keep paying attention to insurers because how insurers respond to all of these different influences are going to, is going to really impact um, the the whole world. The minute that insurers stop deciding that that you know that Miami is insurable, uh, is the minute you see some serious action on 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 their on their side to actually to, to defend that, um, and so uh, this is like a a, a, a somewhat a, like it's it's a it's a negative story in that we are still in this problem, but a, a positive story in that at least some people are sort of coming together and having a solution. But of course, I don't think the answer is wait for the banks to fix this. We have to be driving this from the from the movement we sort of see with Extinction Rebellion and Fighters for Future and the Green New Deal and things like that. These are that's the that 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 is what you need to actually get those things going. It's good that these things are getting in place, though, that the rest of the infrastructure might be able to turn and actually turn on a faucet of of income and, and money. To and something could easily suddenly occur in the in the financial sector, which renders a lot of Canadian assets totally unviable. Oh yeah, like the 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 amount of which Canada has decided to tri- double, triple, quadruple down on the carbon economy right now is uh, incredibly depressing, um, and and we'll be covering one of those, uh, an example, a small example of one of those things uh, in 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 the second break on the second section. Uh, so right now, let's head over to the to the music break. We're coming back with Lauren to talk about uh, about Alton Gas, uh, an update about the Unistoten uh, camp. And then, uh, and then the last section we've got a we've got a bit of good news. So, but the next section with Lauren uh, coming up right after this music break, Saren.
The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And welcome. You're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, and also Lauren, who I actually put her phone on the air despite the fact that we were still on music break, and she did not make any sounds. Thank you, Lauren. And back to the studio (laughs) with Stefan and Dave. Thanks. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us, as always. Happy to be here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're covering uh, a couple stories uh, about Canada's ongoing refusal to take um, to take Indigenous sovereignty seriously, as well as uh, and, and to push forward different types of fossil fuels uh, in different projects. So, let's start with Alton Gas, Dave. Yes. So, in Nova Scotia, Indigenous resistance to an Alton Gas project to store natural gas in underground salt caverns has been going on for nearly three years and has recently led to several arrests and the bulldozing of a straw bale house constructed by activists on the site. The project will dump 1.3 million cubic meters of salt directly into the Shubenacadie River over the next two to three years, which Mi'kmaq water protectors argue will destroy the river's ecosystem and local indigenous livelihoods, and that it is also against Canada's Fisheries Act, which is meant to prevent deleterious substances from being deposited into fish-filled waters. The land is unceded and is meant to have been protected under legal treaty rights since 1752, under a document which, in a hideous show of irony, was called the Peace and Friendship Treaty. Like the Wet'suwet'en resistance to the liquid natural gas pipeline running through northern BC, there is a tension here between the authority of the band councils and the authority of indigenous elders. The water protectors argue that in this Nova Scotian case, the company sought out the approval of band councils only after they failed to obtain consent from the local community, meaning that the company turned to the colonial organizations set up by the Canadian state as a secondary effort to subvert the will of the people who actually make use of the river. As one Mi'kmaq activist put it, quote, the grassroots elders, the grassroots women, the grassroots grandmothers, they're the backbone of our nation. They're the ones who decide whether we allow these corporations here. The grassroots people are the ones running the show, the ones who are left out with the native politics, the chief and councils, the INAC system. Another water protector said, quote, nobody really benefits from the corporations coming in here. Maybe the chiefs get something on the side, who knows, they've been doing it for a long time. And when we stand up and do what we're doing at the front lines, we're broke, we're poor, but we don't feel poor. We're not poor. We got the land, we got the trees, we got the animals and the water. The band councils are just part of Canada, the corporation. In using the treaty to protect the river and its associated ecosystems, the water protectors have received support from from non-Indigenous allies, which they acknowledge the importance of. And indeed, these treaties are older than any federal or provincial law. But in March of this year, a Nova Scotia Supreme Court judge gave Alton Gas the right to force people out of the resistance camp they had been living in for almost three years, and two weeks ago, three women were arrested and the straw bale house was destroyed. Authorities say people are allowed to protest, but only within the confines of a fenced-in patch of land 30 meters away. Water protector Doreen Bernard said, quote, This is a small victory for them. Everything else is on the other side of the dike. The river is on the other side of the dike, and that's what we're protecting. We're going to be here, and we're not going anywhere. We're still here protecting the water on the water. When the time comes for them to think, for, when the time comes for them, when they think that they're going to do anything to this river, then they'll know that we can't allow that to happen. Yeah. So, Lauren, you you were out uh, in the East Coast for quite some time. Um, so I'm going to throw to you first. 
Yeah, yeah, this is a story that um, the majority of people living um, sort of west of, I would say, New Brunswick have, have never heard of and have no idea is happening. Um, but, but like David said, uh, this resistance has been going on for years now. Um, and something like, like I believe since like 2012, I think, and, and maybe even it, it predates that. Um, so it's amazing to me that, that more people haven't heard of it. But, um, but again, it, it's a small part of the world. It's not the sexiest story that's, that's on in the headlines. But, um, but anyway, um, yeah, there's so much happening here. Um, so, so like David said, the uh, the straw bale house that several people have been living in um, as, as a way of sort of blockading and protecting the land was torn down a couple weeks ago, and that was a house that people came together um, two summers ago, maybe um, to to construct, um, and that was an effort uh, led by led by the Mi'kmaq people um, and, and with help from settlers. Um, but but there are still people living out on that site and and watching and monitoring every day um, in a in a in what's referred to as the Treaty Truck House which is on Crown Land a little ways away, but, but still sort of within, within viewing distance of, of what's going on in Alton Gas um, or, or what Alton Gas is, is perpetrating on the site. Um, one of those things that whenever I read this, whenever I read information about this, because um, there really isn't, there's a lot available online, but you really have to dig. Um, but anyway, one of the things that I was just sort of thinking about today, because essentially um, what people are, are upset about, um, in, in addition to the, to Alton Gas, the company, uh, violating treaty rights um, and violating sort of the will of, of what the Mi'kmaq people want on their land, um, people are also very upset about the fact that that this briny water will be so damaging to the Shubenacadie River, to the fish that live there, to the people that rely on that river. And it's one of those things where it's like, in, in sort of like, may, maybe this is a dumb question, so if anybody's listening and, and can give me the answer, but it's like, is, is salt not a resource? Um, like, like we eat salt, we, we put salt on our roads, is could Alton Gas not theoretically take the salt out of those caverns that they want to use, and instead of dumping it in a river, use it for something? I'm I, I'm not sure. Again, probably a silly question, but I don't know. Something I was thinking about today. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah. or the, or that they or that they just don't feel like spending the extra money that they want to do whatever they want. Um, no, exactly. Um, but and I, and I think that's actually I, I, that's actually an interest, important note uh, because because the fisheries is is the one one place that actually the the federal government could step in. You know, yeah. there there the, the federal government has very limited powers. It just it discussed previously uh, within a lot of these issues um, because of the ways that different. Um, constitutional fights have gone in, in, in usually to the provinces side in, in this country, but but fisheries and fish specifically are mentioned in the constitution as uh, as as something that the feds can 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 have control over, um, and and so and, and historically that has actually been used pretty consistently as four ways to uh, to protect uh, these types of waterways. And Harper famously actually sort of gutted the gutted any response for that, which then Trudeau did actually bring in some ways back. And so it, it is it is interesting here that it's not that it that that there is a that there's really there's a, a number of different organizations or different parts of Canada that are refusing to sort of take take really action on this. You know, it's it's not something that you can sort of just say you can't just put this on Nova Scotia. Um, it's it's a it's a federal issue as well. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 clearly, you know, you, you, we I feel like you just have to sort of keep going back to this fact that you know. If we're if if we're going to treat uh, you know these these if if we're going to listen to Trudeau and, and we're going to have if if he wants to keep espousing as much as this has become a farce uh, the need for um, 
you know, nation to nation responses, especially on unceded, unceded land. You'd think that would be even more important. Um, uh, let, let, you know, regardless of the fact of how disastrous so many of these treaties were. Um, if you're, if you're responding to that, you know, this is, this is not you. You can't just give away this 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 right to the you know in in this way. That's a, that's that is not a part of a nation to nation way. That's not a thing that we could do uh, as Canada because uh, it's not it's not our right to decide this in many ways. Um, and so it, it, it's 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 interesting that this is sort of this is quite a despite the fact that it is you know I think you are right. I think it's hard for the things in the East Coast to sort of get west. Um, but it's it's a federal issue. It's a it's a it's a it's a issue for all of us as Canadians. Uh, or all of us who live in this land uh, to to respond to and to have to pay attention to and actually make sure that you know that if we are committed to to this ideal of nation to nation then then this is part of that work um, mm-hmm. as as the next story we'll get to in half a second uh, is another example of sort of once again our failures on that issue uh, but Saren you want to jump in. Sorry, I, I not not long. I just wanted to rephrase Lauren's question as an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the like Jeopardy style, I'm going to rephrase that as a question. Uh, if the salt is safe. Why are you dumping it in a river? If the salt isn't safe, why are you dumping it in a river? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, no. And, and and again, that's that's so secondary to the point that, that to the point that you were making, um, Stefan. Like, yes, this isn't this isn't about salt. This is, this isn't about something as as silly as salt. It's a, it's about violating treaty rights and and going in when the Mi'kmaq people are saying no, you can't you can't abuse our land this way. You can't come in when we've when we've said that it's inappropriate for you to do so, and and continue to, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you're right. It's 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 not about the salt. It's yeah. it's about treaty rights violations. But but I think it. But I, but I, I do think that every example of this does bring into me does bring up this question to me, which I think was uh, which is consistently proven. I think which is that when we have these rights uh, until push comes to shove, and then it's seemingly over and over again the the. the the, those rights vanish. You know, we have the right to assembly until the assembly gets annoying for a oil, for a gas company, and now you have to now you have to sp- stay a specific pen that we've created for you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have the right to protest uh, up until a point, and then we make you go somewhere else. You know, you have the you, you have the rights of nation nation treaties unless we really want to put some you know some gas in in somewhere. You know, like it it feels as if so consistently we are the the the, the government is undermining uh, the the, the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, or the or the or the different st- ways that they want us to believe we're able to assemble, because of these moments when when push comes to shove, what wins is not the people, uh, or at least not in the government's eyes. The government is very very consistently responsive to to not allowing the the sort of the people on the ground to have those rights, um, and so I think we that's why we every time this happens we keep seeing that sort of pushback. Um, and and speaking of of, of pushback, uh, let's have a quick update on Unstoten. Yeah, so meanwhile, on Wet'suwet'en territory in northern BC, local indigenous groups are still fighting TransCanada's liquid natural gas pipeline with plans for their own projects in the area, including the construction of a new cabin. Their website reads, quote, Following the invasion of our territories by RCMP and industry, we are continuing to reoccupy our lands, helping our people reconnect with, reclaim, and protect our homelands. Uh, they continue, the Unistoten camp is not a blockade, a protest, or a demonstration. It is a permanent, non-violent occupation of Unistoten territory, established to protect our homelands from illegal industrial encroachments and to preserve a space for our community, for, for our community to heal from the violence of colonialization. This year, Unistoten volunteers will be working with other Wet'suwet'en clans to support Wet'suwet'en sovereignty. 
Yeah, and I, and I think what's important uh, when uh, this was sort of highlighted even uh, even after after Standing Rock um, and these other sort of these other sort of um, flashpoints, which is what really matters is is like the the response the the response originally is, is is very important, but when you sort of see the the true nature, I think of of the of the state that we live in uh, comes when uh, when people turn away. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we saw that especially with, with with Standing Rock, in which how many of the of the of the of the land offenders there uh, were were subjected to totally unreasonable uh, lengths of, of fines in in in, in, in policing and, and everything like that. Um, and and here yet again, I believe in the end they actually didn't actually charge anyone after arresting a whole bunch of people. Um, Where uh, in New Soton, I believe mm-hmm. they let them all go. After. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they didn't charge them in uh, Nova Scotia either. Right. Um, and and yet and yet they're still using their their you know their 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 their, their, their the, the the level of violence to actually remove these people. Um, and then and then again, you know, what's happening is that you know Stoughton is 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 with is withstanding and staying there, while. But you know why? But this the state has exerted its authority in its in its in its sort of holding uh, authority is the wrong words. The state is is, is asserting itself um, in in holding its line that we will do what we like no matter what you feel. Um, and so I think it's important to 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 pay attention to these things ongoing in some manner uh, to ensure that you know that because what this is what happens when people stop paying attention uh, is that mm-hmm. is that you see a backsliding in, in a pretty significant thing. But let me go to you, Lauren. Yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. Uh, Unisotin and Alton Gas, but, but especially Unisotin, just because there have been so many examples of it. It's, it's just, it's, it's illustrative to the fact that the state will side with a money-making corporation every time without fail. There are injunctions that they have enforced against against the Wet'suwet'en and, and the Unisotin camp time and time again. And when, and when the courts come out with injunctions against um, Coastal GasLink, they don't enforce them the same way. For example, Coastal GasLink uh, received an injunction uh, several weeks ago saying that they had to, to see, like, like, um, cease um, production and construction in certain areas of, of wet, wet and territory because um, it was interfering with their trap lines. And although that injunction was served, in no way has it been enforced. Um, the construction is still going on, still interfering with those trap lines, still preventing those people from being able to to hunt and bring in food to, to provide for themselves the way they always have. So it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of sort of hollow um, motioning that comes out of uh, the state of Canada saying, like, yes, we support you. Yes, we support a nation-to-nation relationship. Look, we're even serving these injunctions. But but if the police aren't enforcing them, then, then it means nothing. Well, yeah, exactly. It, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we can, both sides can get injunctions, but if only one side has them enforced, then then really you're just doing lip service on the other side of this. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's so consistently seems to be the case. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so the, uh, thanks so much, Lauren. We're running into our music break. We're running into our next music break. Uh, but uh, do you have any sort of uh, last calls to action, last thoughts before we uh, head there? Um, I guess, yeah. If, if supporters are keen to either support um, the Mi'kmaq water protectors out in um, out on their territory against Dalton Gas or Unistoten, um, there are uh, GoFundMes and lots of different ways people can support them financially. Um, and then from the Unistoten standpoint, they're actually calling for people to come out and help with um, cabin construction the last couple of weeks of May. So if we have any listeners on the West Coast, um, check out those opportunities because they're looking for all hands on deck out there. Thanks so much. Uh, and with that, uh, we go to Saren for our next music break. Saren, what do we listen to? The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. 
our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. All right, we are back. I was actually signaled to my colleagues here that we were going to come back about 30 seconds ago, but I was digging the song. All right, you got to live that... Uh, let it, uh, that was a good song. Yeah, exactly. Every <laughs> once in a while, we've got to let those, those songs run a bit. I only want to hold your hand, Saren. <laughs> <laughs> after, after 12 noon, David. Uh, so... <laughs> We we have to get off the air. Where there's a pane of glass between us. <laughs> that is true. So um, I'm going to leave my mic on for this section because I'm going to be doing more talking than I have been doing of late. Uh, more than just sarcastic, sarcastic introductory uh, and interjecting comments today. Sort of content. Um, it is my responsibility to let our listeners know. In case uh, there may be some listeners who just tune in for this program, maybe they're not regular CIUT listeners. We forgive you. Um, and that's okay, So, you, but you might not be aware of the fact that our spring membership drive is coming up soon. And this, of course, is a, a fun affair. We usually have a lot of fun with our fundraising drive shows. Uh, Stefan, I'm not going to spoil anything yet, but I know you've been working on some ideas for special features or guests. Um, and maybe you'll talk, I don't know, maybe you'll talk about that, maybe not. We'll find out in a second when I've done my <laughs> preamble. I, I'm not sure if you're ready to launch on that yet. Right. Um, but you know, we, we, it's always fun, but I just, you know, we, but normally that would just be a thing, right? We would say, get your pre-donations in going now. In fact, I'll, I'll do that. Get your pre-donations in now, CIUT.FM. Uh, you can go there and there's a uh, spring membership drive button. It's very big. You can't miss it. CIUT.FM. And there it's going to ask you for an amount. Of course, that is at your discretion. Uh, but please do that. Uh, and it's also going to ask you, I forget what the phrasing is now, but it's like, what's your favorite show that basically, um, feel free to put more than the green majority, but you're going to want to please put the green majority there at the bare minimum that would be appreciated um, but that's just like the normal stuff right we have a fundraising drive it's always important they're never not important where our the station is uh, is pretty much entirely uh, funded by listeners uh, we don't have any special funding or anything like that um, but there's sort of a different tact going on right now which is that you know and we have to be uh, have to be a little bit careful with how we sort of address the issue here but you know public institutions in general are i think it's fair to say under attack uh now you as a as a voting member of the public may be in favor of some of those attacks i i don't think it's overstating it to call them attacks they're institutions that are long standing that provide work for the public whether or not you agree with them is sort of beside the point that are being assaulted um we it is our position here on the green majority that this assault generally is ridiculous and not okay we that's not secret information we've been covering uh the ontario government for a while now with reference to the environment and that's where we will remain our comments because that is the the content of this program but as a general one of the public institutions you know there is concern uh i think and so this would be a particularly good time uh to take an opportunity to show uh ciut to show us uh, Stefan, Dave, and Saren, and Lauren, and all the other people, and Norhan, and, and the other folks who contribute to the program, um, as well as the government of Ontario, that independent media is something that you consider to be an important part of your daily life, and is something that you consider to be part of not just your voice, uh, but also people who work for you, who do work for you, and who go out and do the things you don't have time to do, uh, which is read all of the newspapers, and then research those newspapers to find out if they're actually telling you the truth or not. Uh, that is what we try and do here on the program. We try and do that with entertainment. Um, but it's really important that this is something that we're continue to be able to do. I don't get paid for this in any way. I'm not doing this because I'm concerned about my job. I'm doing about this for the same reason. And I'm asking for this, the same reason that we've been asking for things for 13 years as unpaid volunteers. 
which is the ability, your permission and your endorsement in financial form every once in a while to continue to be able to do the work that we do to provide us simply the opportunity to put our own sweat, blood, and tears into the work that we do for you. And that's all we ask is that you support us to allow us to do that. So I'm going to now throw to the studio for comment, questions, concerns, and maybe teases of content. I don't know, uh, to the studio, but that was sort of my disclaimer on this week's show. So, you know, I, I I don't want to put a particular tint on it. Um, aside from the fact that I think this is going to be a particularly important drive and that we here at this, uh, at least as part of the green majority family here are concerned. And I think I will for now leave it at that. Stefan. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, what's interesting uh, and and important is is the fact that we have a mandate actually to be different uh, than than more traditional news, you know, or more traditional radio shows or station stations. You know, that's actually part of the mandate of community radio is to be uh, is to be uh, in in distinct from uh, from the from the sort of more mainstream, you know, the the the. I was actually gonna like I was gonna make a I was gonna make a fake radio station in my head, but I actually actually it's actually a real radio station. Um, so Joe FM, uh, you know, we have to be different than that. We have to bring action, content and importance and news stories that you might not hear. Um, an example of that uh, is is would be something like you know even last couple last weeks we sort of had the the biosphere uh, talk that we had going on, um, which we were the first to my understanding the first uh, English language uh, news uh, news show to to cover that um, and. And I think I saw that afterwards. A couple of days later, uh, National Observer also covered it with a, with a good article as well. Um, and and I think on the I think I'll use the chance I'll use the actual show itself to give an update on that. So I'll, I'll sort of tease that uh, in the future. But but the this is the thing we are actually mandated to provide different content and and to provide something that you may not be able to be getting uh, from the other other ways you might get your own radio. And I think that's really important. Um, and so as a as a quick sort of uh, a quick sort of pivot uh, to some sort of the types of things you might not entirely hear from time to time is that uh, you know we we're, we sort of had the idea to end this show on some more positive news. So I'm going to get one piece of more negative news in before we before we slide out on more positivity. Um, but but right now, or or actually over in the like over the over the over the night, uh, you may remember a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, Cyclone uh, Idai, uh, which which was 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 incredibly a devastating storm to hit Mozambique. And and you might think that you might hear in the news again a cyclone hitting Mozambique, and in your head you might be like, "Oh man, that cyclone I die is is still being bad." But no, it's an entirely new cyclone um, that is actually now the the most it's that's the strongest cyclone ever to hit Mozambique has made landfall. You're telling me it's more powerful than the than the cyclone that just uh, destroyed yes. the city of Bera. Yes, it is. It is. It is just past. It's a the wind speeds of 140 miles per hour. Uh, is is it has just passed both it and a 2000 cyclone, which were the two strongest previously. And so this is basically back to back, incredibly strong cyclones hitting this country. Um, and and it's the kind of thing that you know you'll hear, and I think can very easily uh, vanish from uh, from the news. Um, and and I think right now, if you can support both uh, CUT. And also uh, the 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 devastation in Mozambique. 
please do. Um, yeah, we'll take we'll we'll take we'll take a double up, right? Whatever whatever you were whatever you what I'd just convince you to donate, go ahead and donate half that to, to, to Mozambique by all means. I mean, we need we need your donations, but we're not in that kind of need and, and def- absolutely. Yeah, well, like like I think I think I think there's actually there's a longer conversation here to be to be had about the importance of supporting uh, supporting everything, the importance of actually of, of of not seeing donation and response as 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 a as a small part of the pie, but actually sort of as a as a part of one's life. Um, and so, but yes, but so the point is that these are types of things that, and these are often stories, and I, even the ability to sort of follow up on stories, you know, weeks or months later um, about about some some stuff that would certainly not sort of be covered by the mainstream news as, as a follow up um, is the type of stuff that we're able to do uh, and and are mandated to do in some ways to differentiate ourselves from uh, from the some more traditional news stories. Um, and so, and so that is sort of that's that's my version of that pitch. Uh, I'll go to Sam before we get on to a couple fun news to end the show. Oh yeah, no, sir. And and I, I just yeah, I just wanted to put a cap on on this section. We'll we'll close that off for now. Thank you, th- thank you very much for that, Stefan. Um, so I just there was one last thing I was thinking about this morning, which I, which is on topic for what you were just saying, Stefan. Which is every every week we have a little smile in the studio here through the glass uh, when the CIUT disclaimer plays, which we're mandated to play, and that's the the piece that says CIUT is not necessarily representative. That is something that you, like, we have a smile because that amuses us. I'm sure you can imagine why. Um, but I actually wear that disclaimer with a badge of honor, not because I th- take pride in being argumentative or disagreeable or combative or, or in any way controversial. That's, I mean, you might imagine that I do, but I, I actually don't. Um, what I take a badge of honor in is spending so much time somewhere that is actively interested in promoting a variety of viewpoints. You don't hear those disclaimers on the news, not because they're big news stations, but because you only get one sanitized viewpoint from those news stations. And sure, there might be differences between news outlets. I would argue that there are very huge differences between the Toronto Star and the Toronto Sun, for instance, uh, if you're in the if you're within range of Toronto uh, in this year uh, broadcast. But CIUT is one of the only places where you can actually get such a wide range of people's perspectives and informations all on the same platform right beside each other where you exactly know exactly where somebody's coming from. And then you can hear a completely different counter argument on the next show because those two shows have nothing to do with one another. And they're not controlled. Ken isn't, uh, Ken Stower, their station manager, isn't telling people what to say on their programs. It, it, this really isn't about us. This is really about uh, the model of a public institution that works for the public. And that is um, that is required for democracy, and I'll and I'll leave it there. Uh, so we'll put a hard break on that. Maybe I'll uh, five seconds of a music break. No, I can't. <laughs> uh, but just sort of okay. We're we're gonna have a cleansing moment, and then Dave, take it away. To close the show. New York City has announced its very own Green New Deal. They are vowing to start running the city on one hundred percent zero zero emission Canadian hydropower within five years. This is great news for Hydro-Quebec, which will now begin negotiations negotiations with New York to supply them with the power. Hydro-One in Ontario, meanwhile, is being forced to pay $103 million to a U.S. company after a merger fell through as a result of Doug Ford's meddling. As Global News reported back in January, quote, regulators found that the $6.7 billion planned merger would not sufficiently safeguard Avista customers from the whims of the Ontario government, which is Hydro-One's largest shareholder. The regulator has pointed to Premier Doug Ford's efforts to force former Hydro-One CEO Mayo Schmidt to retire, which was followed by the resignation of the utility's entire board, as a sign that the province was willing to put political interests above those of shareholders. 
But the bulk of New York's emissions are not coming from electricity, but rather from heating buildings with oil and natural gas. And so the city has approved a host of new climate policies to cut emissions to the city's biggest buildings. It is apparently one of the biggest emissions cuts by any city in the world. They plan to cut emissions from big buildings by 26% by 2030. Thousands of jobs will be created in order to retrofit old buildings and bring on other efficiency measures. Beginning in 2024, buildings that go over their emissions caps will have to pay fines or purchase renewable energy credits. This is actually quite interesting because it is a very different response often than you, than you see from cities. A lot of cities have come out saying they're going 100% renewable. A lot of cities have made these other sort of types of claims like that. But what's impressive about this is it's actually taking on a bunch of things that the city itself can actually do. You know, uh, we've said here much before, cities basically have three major ways of, of, of controlling uh, or, or the cities themselves have sort of three major buckets of, of carbon uh, or greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and it's it's heating, cooling buildings. It's 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 waste generally, uh, and it's transportation. And and so uh, and so tackling sort of these building this this building uh, response is is big. Uh, I hope to see that we'll see that the New York uh, the New York actual state will will sort of see this as a as an important step to actually start revitalizing their transit infrastructure, which is which is disastrous at the moment. Um, uh, now, despite the fact that it is it is it is it is very comprehensive, but it is actually falling apart. So it needs a pretty high investment, which I think the city was the city of New York is is sort of incapable of doing. So I hope to see sort of a, an other governments, especially you know, especially New York governments, the, the New York governor to come on to do this. Um, but it's it, it's I'm mostly impressed because so often these cities, when they come up with these types of plans, do so in ways that are not actually. Uh, they they say they're going to be they're giving themselves targets, but on things they don't have full control over, like being 100% renewable. But this is actually taking control of stuff they actually do have, and a 26% reduction by 2030 is 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 pretty is pretty significant in in, a, in an impressive step. I'm only partially joking here, Stefan. I'm actually of the, I've seen a number of uh, interviews on the television with uh, with Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. And I, I mean, he hasn't said anything here. And I'm so I'm having a bit of fun, but not not uh, I'm only I'm kind of being serious here. I have a sneaking suspicion that he is expecting uh, there to about to be all of a sudden spontaneously several million, if not several hundred million dollars in back taxes paid by some rich guy who turned into president. <laughs> and uh, and I can think of no better use of that money than than putting New York on the path to climate and environmental sustainability. So uh, partially joking, but not entirely. I think that maybe he's expecting an in-flesh of cast soon. That would be that would be incredible, um, if only for the irony. Um, but uh, let's move on to other good news. A wonderfully crazy botanist out of the renowned and beautiful Salk Institute in California, Dr. Joanna Chori, is in a rabid bid to save the planet with genetically altered plants, which she will try to outfit with root systems that can store more carbon. She's currently working with the humble Thalecrest mustard flower that can go from seed to seed in just six weeks, which will give her a quick turnover for faster testing. If she succeeds, it's conceivable the genes could be replicated in all kinds of crops. Yeah, well, this is a this is one of those examples of um, uh, of, of 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 a of a different type of GMO that that could go certain that could. 
this is sort of when you get into this sort of naturalistic fallacy uh, problem, I think, often with environmentalists, which is sort of that, you know, there's this level of which everything unnatural is necessarily not good news. Whereas, like, maybe this would be actually like, like you know, it, there, we're, we're getting into this area where, where some of these things are going to have to be required and important. And if we're using it, it's much better to be using GMOs to do this than to exacerbate the, the, the sort of the failure of our, of our actual industrial agricultural system right now. So, um, so, you know, fun news. Let's just do the last three just in a row, I think. You don't want like a one-word uh, response? Uh, well, I'll do, I'll do a three-word response at the end of all three. A river in Somerset, England has returned to life 70 years after running dry. Some of Australia's top restaurants have pledged to serve only sustainable seafood. And reduced to only 147 living adults, the world's plumpest species of parrot, the kakapo, has a, has had a record breeding season. Sorry, I, I can't help but laugh at the use of plumpest species of parrot. I hope that's a scientific term. Um, but uh, but look at these. Like I, I'm I'm fascinated. I want to know more about the Somerset River. I'm gonna look into this and maybe and maybe follow up on it because the fact that we it's actually, an unnamed estuary. Ah, uh, but it so, it was but, dry for seventy years and now it's running again. But do we know why? I forget. Ah, okay. Well, that, that's the question I want answered. I want to. I want. Why is the Somerset River back, back, back? Um, but all three of these things are 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 good news. You know, the fact like more sustainable seafood uh, or only sustainable seafood is is important. Man, like this show could be entirely just talking about the the need for more sustainable seafood and 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 in fishing, um, which we've we've covered. But like it could be a whole show for sure. Um, uh, the fact that we have. Anytime we're saving biodiversity is great news, so I'm very glad that Kakapo is has had a good breeding season. Nothing wrong with a good breeding season. Nothing nothing is wrong with a good breeding season. I feel like we can just play the uh, play the first music break again as 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 an outro now, uh, for, in honor of the Kakapo. Um, but uh, but these are all th- three things. Uh, maybe maybe we as humanity have some hope uh, after all. Uh, running out of time though, so Sarah, you want to read this out? Yeah, well, it's a good thing that uh, Dave does such an excellent job of linking all the stories we discuss on the web post because you can go and read those stories for yourself at greenmajority.ca. But we, aside from that, are going to take our uh, leave of you now. Enjoy a good green week out there. It is maybe going to feel like spring soon. Other than that, folks, relax, take it easy, and we'll talk to you real soon.